Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. Scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 14, 1. The word of God speaks to us. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This is the word of God to us. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, good morning. My name's uh, Aaron Addison. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline. And uh, a while ago, when I was uh, about uh, 17 years old, I had this life-changing experience. So I had been a follower of Jesus for maybe about a year at that point. And uh, after spending some time studying with a friend about what the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit... I walked away becoming really convinced that the spiritual gifts that we see as more miraculous, gifts like healings and prophecy, things like that, um, actually still exist today. And as a young, not, uh, haven't been a Christian for very young teenager, I was hungry for God and I wanted it. I wanted more of God's spirit in my life, more of God's power in my life. And, uh, and I uh, gathered with a couple people, and we spent some time uh, praying and worshiping, asking God to move and work, asking for the Spirit to fill us. And something happened that uh, had never happened before. Um, as we were sitting there praying, as we're worshiping, I began feeling this strange kind of physical sensation in my fingers, and, uh, and I was like, okay, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it felt just strange. I don't know how else to describe it. And this feeling ended up spreading over my entire body to where eventually from head to toe, I was feeling this strange sensation in my body. And for the first time, I began speaking in words that I didn't know. Uh, I began what is commonly known as praying in tongues. And I left that moment feeling really overwhelmed, but also had a renewed sense, renewed passion for God and for what the Spirit could do. And since then, I've continued to see God do really uh, powerful things and move in powerful ways. I've seen people healed from colds. I've seen people healed from cancer. I've seen people healed from diseases that doctors said were incurable. Um, I've heard words that seemed to be from God as people spoke with clarity and spoke with specificity about things that were just brought to their mind, things that they shouldn't have known about that somehow they're now speaking about. 
I've witnessed people being set free from demonic oppression, whether in overt or subtle ways. And in more ways than I can imagine, I've seen the Spirit of God manifest His presence in the church in both ordinary and in really miraculous ways. And so, kind of by definition, I'm what you might call a charismatic. And what I mean by that is that I believe that all of the gifts that the New Testament talks about, all of the gifts that we see in the Bible, uh, gifts like uh, prophecy or languages. And as a side note, that's actually what the gift of tongues should be called is languages because that's just an old word for language. So Andrew will be preaching in tongues next Sunday. It's just the English tongue, uh, the English language. Um, so the gift of prophecy, the gift of languages, healings and miracles, those things continue to be gifted today. Um, and are available to the church today. Now, enough with kind of humble bragging. Uh, I know the question that you all might be thinking, which is, hey, what if it's not real? Like, what if I'm wrong in what I'm thinking and, uh, and feeling about this? How, how do I know that what I experienced was actually real and from the Spirit? I mean, just logically thinking about it, it's possible that what I experienced in my body, the sensation I felt, could have been completely from just overexcitement or emotionalism. Like, that's very possible. Um, it's uh, possible that instead of some miraculous healing, maybe a person just got over a cold on their own. Maybe there was misdiagnosis stuff going on. Uh, maybe there was kind of a one-off, very rare uh, miracle of healing that God poured out. Uh, maybe those words that I thought were prophetic were actually just good guesses, coincidences, or maybe they were just people's own desire to encourage somebody. Um, or maybe something else was going on. In other words, the question we really have to ask and do work around is, do these gifts, do these miraculous spiritual gifts still exist today? Should we expect them today? Should we strive for them to happen in the church today? Or do they belong to another time, to maybe the time when the Bible was written? And for many people, they have a really good reason to be skeptical of these experiences, because charismatic Christianity is actually known for its many abuses. So a lot of churches who would call themselves charismatic often promote the prosperity gospel, this idea that if you have enough faith, you can be healthy and wealthy. Um, maybe in these churches, Christians might be pressured to speak in tongues to show that they have the Holy Spirit and that they're really spiritual. Um, worship services can be kind of chaotic with outbreaks of laughter, waves of fainting, fits of convulsions, and televangelists can offer promises of miracles in exchange for money so they can uh, raise money for their private jets to fly them around in their nice fancy suits, kind of like modern day indulgences. And we've all heard about different leaders who've used spiritual gifts, prophetic gifts to manipulate others and to control others. So these abuses have caused a lot of backlash. And uh, one of the most uh, popular Bible commentators of our day, John MacArthur, he describes it like this. In recent history, no other movement has done more to damage the cause of the gospel, to distort the truth, and to smother the articulation of sound doctrine. Charismatic theology has turned the evangelical church into a cesspool of error and a breeding ground for false teachers. It has warped genuine worship 
through unbridled emotionalism, polluted prayer with private gibberish, contaminated true spirituality with unbiblical mysticism, and corrupted faith by turning it into a creative force for speaking worldly desires into existence. Tell us how you really feel about this, John. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so all that to say, there are many people in the church who, whether through abuses, whether uh, they haven't experienced these things in their life, or maybe through their own reading of Scripture, have walked away and said, I think these things actually have ended a long time ago. Yet, despite all of those things, I believe these miraculous gifts continue in the church today for biblical and historical reasons. And even more than that, I would say they're essential for our maturity and our witness. So we're going to kind of walk through this and look through this. Now, uh, I'm going to use, just as a caveat, I'm going to use the term miraculous gifts a lot, and I hate it. I hate the term miraculous gifts. And the reason why is because every spiritual gift is miraculous, um, everything, whether it's prophecy or serving or teaching, everything is the Spirit of God moving and working. And uh, I just don't want to spend the whole sermon going, those gifts that we tend to think are more miraculous. Uh, and so I'm just going to say miraculous gifts. Just know I hate that term. Uh, and what I'm referring to is some of those gifts that people specifically think have ended a long time ago. All right. Uh, all right. So first thing, miraculous gifts are biblical. Miraculous gifts today are biblical. So for us as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible is actually the highest authority for us. So despite whatever experience we may have, good or bad, we have to allow the Bible to actually interpret our lives, interpret the way that we're seeing the world, and we have to come underneath its authority. So the very first thing we got to ask when we come to whether these gifts exist today is what does the Bible speak about this? And how can we come underneath what the scriptures say? And for the better part of a year, we've been studying the letter of 1 Corinthians. And Paul wrote this letter to a church that's in shambles, a church that's completely jacked up. Um, and in particular, they were elevating spiritual gifts, some spiritual gifts, the miraculous spiritual gifts, over others. Uh, in particular, they were seeing the gift of languages or tongues as this kind of litmus test for real spirituality. So in other words, if you spoke in tongues, that was kind of like the height of like, you're a really spiritual person. Um, and they were just out of whack. So they had worship services where everyone is just praying out in tongues and no one knows what is going on. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Sean did a great job of really breaking down 1 Corinthians 13 for us, Paul's famous love chapter. And in the midst of this chaos, Paul writes about love, and in particular about how love takes priority over our spiritual gifts. In fact, without love, our spiritual gifts are nothing, they're meaningless, they're empty, and they're vain. And in the middle of this chapter, Paul is going to say a statement that throws into question whether these miraculous gifts continue today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, we're going to start there. Let's read it. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
So Paul here specifically states this, there's going to come a day when prophecies, tongues, and knowledge will pass away. Well, when was this going to happen? Well, Paul says this is going to happen when the perfect comes. Well, when is that? So some would actually say that the perfect here is referring to the time when the Bible was finished or complete. So in other words, here's kind of how it goes, is that uh, the gifts of prophecy and tongues and knowledge were actually important in the first century because the New Testament wasn't fully completed yet. So there was part of the Bible that we have today that wasn't even written yet. And so in the first century, they needed those gifts to know truth. They needed those gifts to know about the gospel, about what God was speaking. And they needed these miracles as like signs to actually show that what the apostles were teaching was true. But once the New Testament was finished, once the Bible as we know it today was done being written, then these miraculous gifts weren't needed any longer and they passed away. And so a lot of times I've had many conversations with people where they've gone to 1 Corinthians 13 and they said, hey, whatever it is that you think that you experienced, uh, it isn't these gifts. We have to come underneath scripture. The Bible says these gifts ceased a long time ago. And, uh, and so whatever you're experiencing today isn't this. But when you take a closer look, there's some reason to doubt whether that interpretation is right. For one, it seems pretty clear from this passage that the perfect is not referring to Scripture. The perfect instead is referring to the day that Jesus returns and sets all things right. So let's look at verse 12, going down a bit further, and we see this a little bit more clearly. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Paul here, he's contrasting the now versus the then. And just, and just picture this. He's saying, now we have the partial. So prophecy, knowledge, tongues. But then we'll have the perfect. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. So the question is, is the then really talking about when the Bible was done? Do we today say that we see face to face and we know fully, even as we have been fully known? I mean, no, these are personal references that almost assuredly refer to the second coming of Jesus. It's on that day that we're going to see face to face. It's on that day that we're going to be known as we are fully known. In other words, the perfect comes when Jesus comes. Now, this interpretation is actually the interpretation of this passage throughout all of history, including people like Calvin, Aquinas, Spurgeon, Henry, Wesley, and others. In fact, I couldn't find one person who interpreted this differently before 100 years ago. This is a brand new interpretation of Scripture. And here's the kicker. Many of those people today who believe that these miraculous gifts have ceased actually agree with this interpretation. So Richard Gaffin, who is the leading scholar uh, who, uh, who doesn't believe that miraculous gifts uh, exist today, he says this. 
This perfection almost certainly will arrive when Christ returns in power and glory. Another New Testament scholar who likewise doesn't believe that miraculous gifts continue today, he says this, It's clear, therefore, that the perfect is another way of describing face-to-face. And seeing face-to-face most naturally refers to Christ's second coming. The idiom face-to-face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 doesn't suggest something abstract like the New Testament canon or spiritual maturity. Instead, it represents the language of encounter with God and so naturally refers to the second coming since we will see Jesus face-to-face when the perfect comes. Now, the question remains, why would these scholars then say that these gifts have ended? Well, they essentially say that this passage doesn't tell us whether gifts will end or not. So in other words, to quote Schreiner, who, or to paraphrase Schreiner, who we just quoted, he says, the miraculous gifts could last until Jesus returns, but that this passage doesn't require that they last until then. But here's what I'd say. I don't think that we have to wonder when these gifts will cease. Scripture actually tells us the precise moment they will. When it says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. In other words, we should expect the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of tongues, the gift of knowledge to pass away when Jesus returns. And until then, we should expect them to continue. So in other words, this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is actually one of the clearest places in all of Scripture where you might be assured that these miraculous gifts will continue. And this is what we see throughout all the New Testament. So just for one example, in Acts chapter 2. In this chapter, it's the day of Pentecost. And this is the day where God pours out his spirit on the church in really powerful, dramatic way. It's so dramatic that literally crowds of people are gathering around to go, what the heck is going on around here? And, uh, And Peter tries to make sense of it for them, the apostle Peter. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says, but this, what you're seeing, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So in other words, Peter's saying, hey, listen, scripture talked about this day, talked about this time and called it the last days. And during this time, God was going to pour out his spirit on his people. And not just on like the really important people, not just on like a few people, not just on like leaders or apostles, but on all of his people. And they're going to dream dreams. They're going to have visions. They're going to prophesy. And in essence, Peter says that day is here now. Now, unless Peter knew of like a last, last days that came after the last days, uh, the last days refers to this whole time from this moment at Pentecost until Jesus returns. And so this whole time, this age is marked by the people of God having the spirit of God empowering their lives. Again, there's 
literally so much we could say on this. I'm not going to spend forever talking about this. We could talk about whether the gifts, these miraculous gifts, were given only to apostles. Uh, Spoiler alert, it wasn't just for apostles, but for other people as well. Uh, We could talk about whether these gifts were just signs to attest to the apostles' message. Again, 1 Corinthians itself talks about other reasons these gifts were given. Again, we could go through all of these things, but I just want you to see that the Bible consistently pictures these gifts being given to the church until the perfect comes, until the day Jesus returns. So miraculous gifts today are biblical. Uh, Second thing I want you to see is miraculous gifts are historical. So if these gifts are biblical, then we would expect to see them throughout history, right? Uh, We'd expect to see them continue. Um, In fact, some people would say that they kind of admit that, yeah, I know the Bible doesn't actually tell us that these gifts are going to end, but in history, these gifts just stop. So I don't believe they exist today because they just factually stopped. And if they did, then we just have to figure out why they ended and not if they ended. But when we look at history, we actually see the opposite. These gifts continued long after the New Testament was complete. In fact, they continued in every age throughout history. So just for some examples, uh, less than 100 years after the New Testament was finished, a guy named Justin Martyr, who was an early Christian apologist, he wrote this in the year 160. He says, For the prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. Uh, Around the same time period, about 20 years later, Irenaeus of Lyon writes the same exact thing, but in more detail. He describes Christians like this. He says, For some do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have thus been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I've said, the dead even have been raised up and remain am- remained among us for many years. In like manner, we do also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. So he's saying, hey, listen, these things are still going on today. This passage is actually quoted by a guy named Eusebius, who was a church historian who wrote about, uh, about 300 years uh, after Jesus. And uh, it's a great work. You guys should actually read it. It's fascinating to read church history from someone who lived like, you know, what was that, uh, like almost 2,000 years ago. Um, and uh, Eusebius also quotes another person living about this time, a guy named Polinaris, and he quotes Apollinaris as saying this, For the apostle thought it necessary that the prophetic gift should continue in all the church until the final coming. So again, Eusebius is quoting this as saying like, hey, listen, these gifts were still continuing at that time, and they believed these gifts would last until Jesus returned. Uh, going on in the third century, Tertullian boasted to the heretic Marcion that Marcion couldn't produce the same kind of miraculous gifts as Christians could. In particular, that they couldn't produce visions, prophecies, and interpretations of tongues. 
Also in the third century, Origen of Alexandria, he argues this. He says that there are still preserved among Christians traces of that Holy Spirit which appeared in the form of a dove. These Christians expel evil spirits and perform many cures and foresee certain events according to the will of the Logos. Again, a century later, so now in the fourth century, about the year 350, Basil the Great describes the ongoing prophetic and healing work of the Spirit in his day. At the same time, a guy named Cyril of Jerusalem, he writes this, God employs the tongue of one man for wisdom. The soul of another he enlightens by prophecy. To another he gives the power to drive out devils. I mean, even in the fifth century with Augustine, who is the most influential theologian who ever lived in the history of the church, in his work, City of God, Augustine devotes a whole chapter to the miracles of God continuing to that day. And in particular, he opposes those who would say that miracles ended with the apostles. He goes on to list and document over 70 instances of divine healing that happened in his own region over a two-year period, including healing from blindness, breast cancer, gout, paralysis, demonization, and even death. Now, this all, guys, is just a snippet of the historical record from the first five centuries, and the stories keep going on. Even as late as the Reformation, we still see miraculous gifts, in particular prophetic gifts, from men like John Knox and Richard Baxter. And you can even argue men who didn't call it prophetic, like Charles Spurgeon, knew things they shouldn't have known, spoke those things out, and predicted events that happened. Now, given the historical evidence, here's, that leaves us with only a couple options. Either one, every account of the gift of prophecy, tongues, miracles, and healings that we see in history were lies, illusions, or demonic. Or two, these gifts did in fact continue throughout history. So those are kind of our options that we're stuck with. Either people were lying about it, they were illusions, and by the way, none of these people were out there trying to line their pockets for their private jets or get their golden sofas or boost their TV ratings. Like these people were many times committed to a life of poverty or had very little, and they're experiencing the power of God move. So either they were lies, illusions, demonic, or these gifts, maybe the risen Christ is continuing to work by his spirit in history through these gifts. So miraculous gifts are biblical, miraculous gifts are historical, and miraculous gifts today are essential, are essential. So for biblical and historical reasons, I firmly believe that these gifts continue today, but I want to take it a step further. The miraculous spiritual gifts are important for our maturity and for our witness today. Now, imagine with me for just a minute. Uh, just picture in your mind a church. Picture, let's just do our church. Uh, so picture our church. What would our church look like if everyone stopped exercising the gift of service? If everyone just said, you know what? That gift's not for us. Our church will be fine without it. Like, what would our church look like? What would we lose out as a church if we all just stopped exercising the gift of service? Or what about a church that stopped pursuing gifts like teaching and mercy? 
or a church where no one operated in the gifts of encouragement and generosity? What would we think of those churches? What would that look like? I mean, it's almost like unimaginable, isn't it? Because it's like those things are so crucial and essential to who we are as the church and the way that God works in and through us. Not only would our maturity take a hit if we weren't serving and teaching and being generous and encouraging, but our witness to the world would take a hit. But here's the deal. When it comes to miraculous spiritual gifts, we sometimes take this like open-handed approach to it, right? Like, okay, if it happens, I'm open to that. But if not, that's okay. But here's what I would argue. The gifts of prophecy, tongues, healing, miracles are just as essential as the other gifts. They're just as beneficial and they're just as important and needed. They're just as crucial for our maturity and our witness and they are just as much a part of the body. I mean, think of the body analogy. Like, who takes an open-handed approach to body parts, right? Does anyone go like, hey, you know what? I'm open to having eyes, but it's okay if I don't. They're not really like needed. It's not really beneficial to my life. If I didn't have eyes, it'd be fine. If I did, that's great. It's like, no, like I actually want my eyes. Like I would like to keep those. Like if we're having kids, we don't go, you know what? It would be great if they had all their fingers and toes. But if they don't have any of them, it's really fine. I'm open-handed with that. It's like, no, I want them to have their fingers and toes because that's part of the body. Like it's an important part of the body. When we take spiritual gifts, the miraculous spiritual gifts, and we just set them aside, we're losing something important and crucial for our church. I mean, just think about the things we're missing. It's like when people are dealing with sickness that they just can't overcome, or they're downcast, or doubting, or needy, or anxious, these gifts come in and are God's way of showing his love and showing his presence to our church. They're his way of building us up and growing us. We need these things just like we need the non-miraculous gifts. And this is why Paul describes our posture towards spiritual gifts as one of pursuit. So continuing on in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 1, and just so you know, there's no chapter breakdowns in what Paul's writing, so this is just flowing straight from what he said previously. But he says this, and I want you to really listen to it. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now remember, he's writing to a church that is whacked out with spiritual gifts. He's writing to a church that's abusing them. He's writing to a church that is not operating in them the way that they should. And he says to them, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, this word here for earnestly desire is a strong word. In Greek, this word is zelute, which is where we get our word zealous from. It means this striving after, strongly desiring, to be zealous for, to be jealous about, to passionately seek, to make much of something. This is a passionate word. This is a strong word. So in essence, Paul is saying here, guys, 
Love is what's most important. Love is the highest thing. Desire love, pursue love, and with everything in you, passionately seek the spiritual gifts. Be zealous for them. Strive after them. Seek them with all your might. And again, some of this is because Paul sees that these spiritual gifts are actually the way we love each other. They're the way that we pursue love with one another. But this is something that has to be done with passion. And notice, this isn't a suggestion. Like Paul is giving a strong command here. No qualifier commanding us to zealously pursue spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So here's why this is important is because if prophecy continues on today, that means this verse is all the more reason we have to learn what it is and how it should function in the church. Like we have to do something with it. Dr. Sam Storms, he puts it like this. He says, if anyone, if one believes either that it is possible or that it is definite that all gifts are still valid and important today, one must explore ways to obey Paul's command. If the gifts are valid, God does not leave us the option of either seeking them or not seeking them. And now, guys, this is similar to what Paul says elsewhere. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, there's some striking similarities to all of this stuff that Paul is talking about with spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, he specifically talks about people who are gifts to the church, one of those kinds of people being prophets. And he says that these gifts were given to the church, listen, and this is in Ephesians 4, starting verse 12, that these people were given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for what? For building up the body of Christ. Again, this is what he talked about spiritual gifts are for, for building up the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That sounds like the perfect to me. He continues on, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, again, he brings in the body analogy just like he does in 1 Corinthians, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, I think from this we just see these gifts are given for the building up of the body, for the edification of the church as a way of loving one another. We build ourselves up in love as we love each other through these gifts. Every gift is essential for our maturity and for our growth. And we're to build each other up in love. And one of the primary ways we do that is through spiritual gifts, whether they're miraculous or not. Now, just to kind of wrap things up, where do we go from here? Just a uh, just quick thing to, to finish out. If you're a follower of Jesus already, the call for you today is to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's not let manipulation and abuse of these gifts lead us to scorn the gift of God. God has given these gifts to the church. In the next few weeks, I understand there's a lot of questions of, 
in particular around prophecy and tongues. And in the next two weeks, we're going to look at what are they? How do they function in the church? And we're going to spend some time breaking those down. But until then, you are called to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So how do you do that? Well, I think first, pray. Pray. Ask God to give you these gifts. Ask God to give these gifts to our church. And we know this is one of the ways that we can pursue that because later on in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells people, hey, pray for the gift to interpret. So he's saying, hey, if there's a gift that you need, a gift that you desire, a gift that's missing out of the body, pray and ask God to give it to you. Pray and ask God to fill us with his spirit and to lead us and guide us. Let's pray for these gifts in our own lives. Like, one of the ways that we can pursue prophecy is say, God, I'm not quite sure what this is. Would you give it to me? Would you help me? No. And another thing that we can do to, know, to, to pray and earnestly, to, to pursue and earnestly desire these things is to step out in love and in risk. And here's what I mean. Again, as I was saying, spiritual gifts, Paul hits on again and again, are ways that we love each other that God, the Holy Spirit, displays his love and presence in the church. And so the way these things come out are not so much things that God's just throwing out as much as we see someone hurting and we want to love them and meet them and God the Spirit works through us. Whether that's through healing them, whether that's through a word of encouragement, whether that's through service, whatever it is, it's the way that we're loving people and the Spirit of God is making His presence known. But here's the deal. Miraculous or not, doing that and loving someone takes risk. It takes us stepping out and doing something uncomfortable. We have to love the other person enough to look foolish. And whether that's through serving, whether that's through speaking a word, whether that's through saying, hey, can I pray for healing? Whatever it is, we have to actually take risk to step out in those things. So the way that we can desire these things among us is let's pray for them and then let's step out in love and in risk to one another and be open to what the Spirit of God wants to do among us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to admit, this might be one really weird sermon. Uh, and I'm sorry for that. I apologize for that. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, it's not lost on me that I do think this is really important still. And the reason why is because two things that come to mind. One, I want you to see God is actually a giver. He's a giver. He loves us and he loves to give his people good things. He actually has a heart of goodness towards us and of generosity towards us. But the other thing is, and here's the deal, is that God is not absent somewhere. He's not out there somewhere absent from us, but he's actually here making his presence and power known in and through his people. In fact, God drew near to us in Jesus. He didn't just leave us on our own, but God himself became a man in Jesus, lived on this earth. He performed powerful miracles, and ultimately he died and rose again to rescue us. And he tells us that everyone who trusts in him, who follows him, who puts aside whatever else they're clinging to and looks to him and receives him is going to be saved. 
It's going to be rescued. And more than that, it's going to receive the Spirit of God himself dwelling with them and in them. And this is what Jesus offers to you if you're not a follower of him today. He actually offers his very presence to be with you and guide you and to meet you in what you need. And so trust in him and follow him today. Would you stand with me? Followers of Jesus, we're going to now take this meal of communion. In Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he called his followers to remember him through eating this bread and drinking this cup. And as we come to this meal, I want you to remember that Jesus himself says and promises that the Spirit of God would be with us as we take this meal. As we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, God's presence is here with us as we're feasting on his grace. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you've expressed that faith through getting baptized, in a moment I'm going to invite you to come grab bread, grab wine. And as you guys take this, let's remember the gift of God, that God has given his own presence to us and God has given his grace to us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you, don't take this meal. There's going to be prayers on the screen because today God actually just wants you to meet him. Jesus actually wants you to just come to him and receive the spirit today. And so don't take this meal and instead just pray those prayers. But if you're a follower of Jesus, whenever you're ready, come grab the bread, grab the wine. Let's gather in some smaller groups and let's take this meal remembering the presence of Jesus together. Whenever you're ready, come on in.